Hey folks, and welcome to the Leadership Tales podcast. Uh, welcoming today a guy called Henry Hayes. I first met him on a, a networking uh, group. Uh, he's a bundle of energy, and a bundle of energy in the right way. He talks about offense and defense, and therefore he looks at disruptive technologies, disruption, and he wants us to be on the front foot towards the offense. And particularly with ChatGPT AI happening at the moment, it's a key message about where we need to be. He has some very simple frameworks, which you'll hear about today, around how to face that and work with that. So get ready for your first injection of Henry Hayes if you haven't heard him before. Enjoy. Henry Hayes, welcome to the Leadership Tales podcast. Great to have you on. For those who are listening, who don't know you, don't know your stories, yeah. What's your background? Tell us. Oh, boy. So I am kind of a mutt, Colin. Mm -hmm. I, I was born in the deep south in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, moved to Los Angeles uh, as an 11-year-old kid. Literally one day here in school in the deep south, and the, the next Monday I was in school where the Brady Bunch kids went to school, literally. Huh. Dixon Canyon Elementary in North Hollywood, California. So a little bit of a culture shock. I grew up there as a junior high and high schooler. And then came back to school in the deep south at LSU, Louisiana State University. Um, bounced around kind of like many 22-year-olds, 42-year-olds these days. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Got my teaching credential to um, essentially uh, coach high school basketball and, and teach a little bit. Uh, but then was kind of recruited out of that world to be a sales guy because that's, that's what my natural giftings are in that. I fought that because I didn't want to be the guy who put you in an 11 and a half size loafer today and all the, <laughs> all the cheesiness that are, is associated with sales. I just didn't have my head around what that actually meant. And so I got into pharmaceuticals, yeah. uh, you know, single territory on a bag in uh, San Diego, California, and then had some fortune to be kind of promoted on up the ranks and had some really great opportunities um, leading to my mentor calling me and saying, we're building a Salesforce from nothing. So I went and did that. And then we had an exit that was um, good to be a part of. And so that kind of brought me into the, the next phase of my career. But that's a little bit about me. And what was the pharma company? Because that's my background as well. So I was on the bag so with Procter & Gamble. Okay, so I started with Park Davis, which is yeah. a good place to start. They had Lipitor, which is one of the most successful branded drugs in the history of pharmaceuticals. Mm. Um, they also had a, a pretty innovative diabetes drug. I went mm. from Park Davis to Novo Nordisk, which is a, a European company that's yeah. very good in, in, in diabetes. And then a couple of smaller, so Amelin, which is a startup company out of San Diego, actually mm. had the first GLP-1, all the Ozempic rage right now. That yep. company developed the first of those, which is called Bieta, a GLP-1 mm. agonist. And then from there, Avenir, which is a really small central nervous system, little engine that could, again, out of Southern California, that developed mm. a, a drug for what's called PBA, pseudobulbar affect. Um, mm. And that's the, the company I really got my hands dirty on, building from nothing uh, mm. and experiencing an exit. So tell me about the fight with the sales piece, because I'm interested in that, because that's it is one of the things I struggle with as well, which is um, sales is in the UK. Sales is a dirty word, Henry. So it's you know salesperson and the loafer and the story. So tell me what was going through the head then. Yeah, so I I'll give it a UK touch to it. I didn't want to yeah. be David Brent. I didn't yeah. want to be. <laughs> uh, come on, that's a good right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I didn't want to have to talk someone into doing something they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And looking back at that, Colin, my mindset simply wasn't right. I, I, didn't, I didn't have the right guidance or mentoring mm-hmm. around what you know, sales, uh, these days I call it business development, um, could be. So I was, you know, p- on purpose pushing back against that. You know, the used car lot, the guy who you walk into a furniture store, he's sitting in one of the loafers, you know, jumps out of it so quickly because you're his guy. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't want anything to do with that. So despite the fact that I had natural giftings, I'm extroverted. I love talking to people. I I didn't have my head around, hey, you can go solve problems for a living. And if you genuinely, truly with authenticity link to that, it can be a heck of a career. I I didn't have that. And so... That's why I push back. Mm, interesting. So the, the journey, I mean, in, in some ways, there's elements of your disruption piece there as you went through. There's movement, there's startups, there's push, there's that inner drive. I'm interested how much that inner drive has been maintained over time. We can get to the later story, but because you're an energetic guy. The first time we met, Nicole, you were driving a car, heading to meetings, you know. So how much is that natural and how much is... Have you had to sustain that over time? Yeah, yeah I've always, I've always had the energy, Colin. I, I mm. I'm uh, the wind in my sails is people, and so, mm. uh, I, you know, that's always driven me. I, I need, I need multiple plates spinning at once. Um, you know, that that's just always been me. Mm. I think when I have something, I feel like I can be of value to to a group. That's when I really come alive. Yeah. and so when I. I this is a key piece. When I saw in my career a difference between leadership and management, that's mm-hmm. when I knew I had my kind of corporate North Star, if you will, or my mission. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was really attracted by people who led and didn't manage. Now, it's funny, even in my own introspection of that chase, there is time. There are, there are times to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've kind of over really the last few years learned that you can't just throw out the management bathwater. It's not all leadership. So I think it's an artful combination of both. Mm. And I think that in a strange way, uh, I used to say the younger generation was was craving that. Colin, I think all generations are, are craving yeah. that because it's, I mean, look, you know, I mentioned David Brent. The office was was written. I mean, this, this the gigantically huge commercial hit over mm. this idea that you bang your head against the, a wall of a, corporate existence from, from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And that's that. Like, so it's a real thing. Um, I think when you, when you, when you merge into that today, what's going on with the emergence of new technologies, which we'll get to and the speed, um, all things are being challenged. This idea that you're, you know, a traditional W2 as opposed to a gig worker, all those things to me, ironically, open up more the need to have true leaders in today's space. So anyway, I, that's a lot. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but that's no, kind of, yeah. It's good to talk about because I I want to dig a bit into that at the moment, but I want to link it into the disruption piece that you got into because I think a lot of our issues as leaders comes from our lack of management. Yeah. So if we think about the day-to-day, we think about the execution, a lot of leadership, a lot of leaders think the leaders is just a vision and creating the vision and everybody will follow. And if they blah, blah enough, they'll, they'll go. But there's a lot about execution in there as well in the management. Yeah. Yeah. Because look, you know, if Wickham's book, I think he had it right with the 
visionary on the one half and the other half has to be an implementer or an executor. Because if you have just visionaries, man, nothing will ever get done and it'll be a, a hot mess, right? Yeah. But if you have just implementers, so it truly is the artful marriage of both. And I push back on that a lot because I thought it was boring. And at times it is boring, but yeah. you cannot, you, you cannot have the success that you want to have without a blend of it. I'm convinced of that. And so I think ironically, the, the ego really has to be put on the table to say, okay, why are you in this? Do you just want the headline? Do you just want your name on stage? Yeah. Do you want it in neon lights? And if the answer is yes, those are the wrong motivations and people will sniff that out. But mm -hmm. if you can be, humble enough to say, look, this is where God has gifted me. Mm. I know we're also where my lanes are not. So I need to fill those in with people that um, are comfortable in those areas. I think that's what in, in large part, Colin, I think that's what people are looking for. And mm. um, the good news is the technologies that are coming to the fore are giving us more and more of those, those abilities and chances to blend those things. Yeah. So tell me how you got into disruption because that that's yeah. where you're you're sitting today yep. and it's you know I'm that's what I talk about that disrupt the way people are led is my mantra and mine is through purposeful practice and practice leadership but yours is a bit more about how do I bring together I can't remember the dance analogy you had but bringing yeah. together the two schools yeah well, let me go back cuz this is actually a pretty good origin story cuz it's very real mm. so when I was exiting the, the pharma company I helped build, right about that same time here in America, I was driving down our main road in my town. And I looked to my left and I saw a site that I'd never seen, which was a boarded up Blockbuster video store. Mm. And so I, I did another take, which I almost hit the car in front of me. And I whipped a U-turn into the parking lot because I wanted to figure out like, what happened here? What, mm. how, did this, how did you get a, a boarded up is it, did the department of health come by? Was yeah. there a really, really bad night manager? What, what, what was the story? Well, you know, this is 2023. We're doing this and we all know what happened. Netflix yeah. happened, mm. but you lived through it just like I did, Kellen. Mm. That was a, it was a cute little story. And it was a, some, something depending on where you were on the outlier scale, you kind of opted in early or maybe in the middle or maybe to the back end. But I don't think any of us ever really said, wow, this is going to cripple and take out of business yeah. the incumbent that had been around for decades. Nobody saw that. And so when I learned what really happened, I thought, okay, that's a big name. It's a big brand. You're talking about a worldwide player. Um, if it can happen to them, who else is at play here? And it wasn't so much a defensive posture I took immediately. It was offensive, meaning, okay, this is these are new opportunities for new incumbents because the, the, the rubric. So I set up a keynote based on what I'd learned, which a lot of that comes from Clayton Christensen, who's the godfather of the term disruptive innovation. He taught at Harvard. He's since passed. But if you really understand how to look for it, that's what it got really interesting. And I can go through three really easy buckets Colin, that anyone's listening to this can, can apply to their business. It's where's the market been complacent? So in the Blockbuster example, if Colin and Henry are at university together and we wanted to rent entertainment, we'd drive to the location. Hopefully our title was in stock, mm. pick it out, rent it, and then hope to return it on time. That was the way that business had been done for decades. That's one. Number two, when you look at where your customers are most frustrated, 
So in, in that instance, did I love the fact that my roommate Colin left the title under the sofa and we were 12 days late? No, but I paid the late fee because what else could I do, right? But that was yeah. a frustration of mine. Also a frustration of mine was when Colin and Henry made that drive to the video store, if it was Friday at 4.30 in traffic, eh, might, have, might have taken us an hour to do that. It wasn't great. So when then Reed Hastings said, guys, just walk to your mailbox. Don't, don't, don't get in the car. And then when he said, just push a button on the remote. Don't even walk to the mailbox. Oh, and by the way, there's no late fee. We really like that. So he, 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 he fed directly into our frustrations such that we didn't have those anymore. And we dropped the idea of going to a physical location to rent a piece mm. of entertainment forever. Yeah. So that's, that's the second. The third is just the way to spot it is tension points. That's a little harder to understand. But what that means is if the government is a, is a payer in any industry, healthcare, education, et cetera, it's going to take a little longer for disruption to show up. But don't kid yourself. It is, it is going to show up. Um, one of the, 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 my own personal stories there is I do a good bit of business at Austin, Texas, which here in America, Austin is uh, relatively liberal for Texas, right? So when you drop into Austin, Texas, you don't expect the rideshare, the Uber, Lyft, et cetera, to get kicked out. Well, that's exactly what happened several years ago. And so I go to get my ride at Uber and the app's spinning and spinning. And it finally says it's unavailable because the taxi cab union had been kicked out because they didn't want to get fingerprinted. So that's an example mm. of a tension point that holds back disruptive innovation. But it was only a matter of time because the public had already spoken. So I, it's yeah. a bit of a miss if I went down. But that's how oh. I got into this. And to this day, Colin, it's it's fascinating because you're talking about some some really large incumbents that have mm -hmm. done business the same way for decades. And 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 by the way, have done business to the tune of they're fine, revenues are up, they're they're they create jobs. And so, you know, by no means are they struggling. My clarion call is just to say, that's great, but you need to look in the rear view because the barbarians at their gate do not look like them. They do not have their backgrounds and they they're taking a wholly different view of how to serve customers in an industry. And I think they are going to win long-term. Mm. And it's interesting because if you start to look at the barbarians at the gate in the rear view mirror, sometimes it's the least obvious things that are going. So if you take Uber and how it's run its business versus, you know, Lyft, and then you start to look in London where Bolt is starting to take over from Uber because it's got a different, so it's got a legacy with Uber with, conflict with the mayor and other places so you start to get into this bit which the barbarians are coming at you from all over the place and not just from your competitors yeah well that's right and again it's it's not to simplify but if you look at those three things i mentioned where's the market complacent mm -hmm. where are the customers really frustrated and then what are the tension points i mean colin we we could sit here and come up with the playbook to disrupt yeah. any industry and it's not that mm -hmm. hard mm -hmm. um take malls for example i don't know to the extent malls are still thriving in the UK, but the idea that you would, the idea in 2023, that you would leave your house to go to a, a brick and mortar, a physical location to buy something. I would say you need to make, you have to have another compelling reason or else you're going to get it dropped on your doorstep. And in some cases it'll be within two hours. So th things are just changing so rapidly and so quickly uh, I just wanted everyone to, to the bullet that gets them. I wanted them to see it coming.
So going to that, because I think a lot of our listeners will maybe be in large corporates, sat in the middle of those large corporates and and going, okay, so either I'm not customer facing, I'm an internal function, so I'm not seeing this coming, I'm not seeing the bullets coming. And in many cases, I'm dictated to by strategy. So how applicable is it to them versus the smaller business, the you know, the startups or the medium sure. size? Yeah. And that's a great question, Colin, because there's this term, you know, you could be an intrapreneur, meaning, hey, I work mm. in the large halls of a corporation, like when you and I started in pharma, those are mm. big companies. And they don't, frankly, they're not really soliciting and or concerned with young Colin or young Henry's ideas. And that mm. can be a bit frustrating. So I would say, if you are in that position, concentrate on disrupting yourself. Concentrate mm. on adding skills to your own game such that you become so much more eminently employable. Um, I think these new opportunities are good. They might not find you, but they're going to be a lot easier for you to find um, because the businesses that do not innovate themselves. I mean, look at look at Polaroid, look at Blockbuster. Those were big businesses, Colin, that employed hundreds of thousands of people. And so yeah. I would say if I'm in those walls, like to your point, in my own time, I would examine what are they doing to innovate and is my job safe? Mm -hmm. Because the yeah. answer is probably not, e even if it is safe. I think you gain so much if you disrupt your, yourself. Because think about how we're taught, Colin. Primary mm -hmm. school, secondary school, maybe a little post-grad work, and it's off to the corporate race. 35 years later, here's the gold pen. Here's your retirement lunch, and that's it. Away you I, go. I don't think that works any longer. And mm -hmm. nor is that as interesting. And everyone's got one of these these days, Colin, which yeah. means most of this education is free, and it's at your fingertips. So we've never, we've never lived in a, in an age where it's easier to do this. And guess what? It's really interesting <laughs> with a lot of the new technologies coming. Um, what I find is when adults step into this, it's a, it's a wind in their sails they need in their career. They're kind of a bit stuck. Well, this is a great way to get unstuck. I love that analogy because in some ways, you know, the, take the classic piece that we first talked about, which was AI and ChatGPT, and and you look at the impact. So about 18 months, two years ago, tech coders were the sort after you could write your own check. Now they're being laid off because ChatGPT is coming in. So even the speed of some of these disruptions, how long it took to close your blockbuster was quite a while, but actually nowadays it's it's rapid. So when we talk about the individual skill set, learning, adaptation. And I want to come to this because it, it is important to a lot of people. Most people are scared witless about the fact that ChatGPT AI is coming in because they don't know how it's going to affect their role. So do you want to bring us to the current day and what you're doing in that? Because I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my keynote speech comment I've given for probably six or seven years on, mm. on a lot, you know, a few countries in the globe, quite a few people. I have a slide that, that talks about what I call the essential eight. And it's the eight technologies that are driving all this disruption, right? So blockchain, virtual reality, augmented reality, the internet of things, robotics, etc. Well, 3D printing, one of them was always AI, right? Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence. And it got its due time in my talk. And then November 22nd, 2022 happened. And that's when OpenAI released chat GPT 3.5 to the world. And my friend since then, 
it's it's really been on a on on a speed and trajectory. I've I'm 51 years old. I've never seen anything like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it's it's kind of interesting because it gets faster by the week. Yeah. I mean, the the updates we're getting and the reactions from all parties involved, governments, private institutions, colleges, um, manufacturing, everybody is all over the place. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a beautiful chaos. But the difference in this technology is, you know, Colin, you and I could spend five minutes and we could train just about anybody that was, you know, functional on how to use chat GPT. And by the way, that's a, (laughs) when I say chat GPT for your audience, that's like saying Google is to search. There are a lot more folks in this LLM large language model family than just chat GPT a lot more. And there's a lot more on the way. So that really sped it up such that there's an urgency now where I get calls almost daily, well, definitely daily, from businesses, hey, what is this? How do we need to think about this? What should we do with this? So there's this feeling of, I'm going to get left behind if we don't get on this. Um, and so that's been a majority of my work in the last, really since November. The way we see that is what tremendous opportunity. Because now this whole idea of, hey, it might be a good idea to gently disrupt yourself. Now that's, let, let's say that was a cute ism from my take from my keynote now it's there's some urgency the clock is ticking my friends and yeah. so don't kid yourself um if you if you put your hand in the in the head in the sand and, and pull it up a year from now things will be radically different yeah uh, so i saw a great article just today where uh, the age of the idiot it was described it was everybody with a head in the sand you know just waiting for so there is something, and I, I want to go back to the offense-defense piece because I love that analogy. When I first saw it in your uh, in your work, that was a key piece for me because I think a lot of people are waiting, waiting till somebody else tells them how to do it. And actually, for me, the offense piece is step in, explore, sail a ship out of the harbor, have a go. Because as you say, it's not difficult to grasp it, but no. then you need to do your own work. Yeah. That's right. And I think, look, I've got this thesis and it's only mine, Colin, but the more I do this, the more I'm convinced that the older we get as leaders and managers in businesses, it's harder for our brains to get our heads around change. In other words, if it doesn't immediately work for you right off the bat, there's there's an inner voice saying, Colin, do not step into this. This is for the kids. You don't understand it. You're going to look foolish. You're going to be embarrassed. Run. So I think it's a fight or flight. And let, let's face it, the flight is safety. The flight is, well, what I know how to do is run this business day to day, Monday through Friday. We're, we're making money. So I'm going to stay there because there's safety there. Um, I think even two or three years ago, you could, you could, we could argue about it, but you could convince me, okay, I, I don't, it's not my style, but okay, you, you could probably run the game out that way. Today, no, I will. I will win the argument with with everybody saying that is a losing strategy. And you know what else? Here's the thing. Here's the irony in that. If you advocate for customers, and that's a big if, because some say it in a sense of, oh, it's a Hallmark greeting card. I advocate for customers and you don't. But some really mean it. I think most people do mean it. If that is your true aim and what you do and why you do it, then you should be running to an offensive strategy. Why? Because it's so much 
more quickly enables you to serve them better. That's the irony. And I use that word a lot in this, in our chat, but the more people learn about, um, well, what is this going to enable me to do? That's the first thing, serve your customers better, an offensive strategy. Um, so I think that's, that's a learning that a lot of people can take away. So what a, it's beautifully linked into something that's going through my head. The oldest model I ever came across was something called the leadership paradox, which is one axis. It was a two by two classically in consulting terms. One axis was sensor direction. So either having low or high sensor direction. The other axis was freedom to act. Yeah. So freedom to do stuff either high or low. And the aim was to get to the top box to your point, which is how do I serve my customers quickly? How do I react and give mm -hmm. that? But when you come back to it, you can't do it in everything you do at the same time. So you've got to have a sense of direction about where you want to play with this new technology and then learn and grow. So how do you work with clients to, to nail down that rather than, you know, I, I make water bottles. The way we approach this, Colin, is overtly simplistic because most of the people we work with are what I call non-technical, meaning they're not going to code for, um, you know, Selenium or BARD or any of the LLMs. And that, okay, so let's, let's not try to jam a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. So the first phase is education. You have to be three paragraphs deep on the technology, where it comes from. Who's, who's in it? What are your competitors doing? And then what are your choices? So that's the first phase. The second phase is then choosing, um, getting in the game, as we call it. So creating a pilot around. And, and again, I put this in really easy to understand terms for businesses. Like, where can we increase your efficiencies, which hopefully lead to increased profits? That's that's a, a, a line of thinking that all business owners understand, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you break it down like that, it gets kind of easy to step into yeah. what's possible. And then I think the key is how do you measure it and track it such that we know we're either on track or off track. And we do that as well. So um, that's worked really well. The issue for us, quite frankly, is keeping up with <laughs> all the changes because they're coming so quickly. But that's, that's part of the fun too. Yeah. And you were telling a story about the... Um you're going back to LSU, Provosty working with, bring these, and the dance analogy, which I never heard this expression, being a Brit. But uh, talk us through that, because I think there's a bit in here where normally universities are at the front end of a lot of these changes, but actually they've got to educate a lot of other people in this. So tell us what you're doing in there, the dance analogy. Yeah, sure. So, you know, speaking of the university piece, I've always thought that they needed to disrupt themselves. But the yeah. bigger they become the slower moving they are, which, you know, th th they're going to be slow to do that. Uh, and then look, there's also risk, which a lot of them are uh, unwilling to take that risk. I think those days are coming to an end. They know they need to innovate and, 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 and kill some things and add some things. Mm -hmm. And so I always thought it was kind of, I'm not as familiar with the UK version of university, but essentially they look at their end users, their economic units, if you will, as let's say 18 to 22, 23 year olds. And they look at them in fall chunks and spring chunks. And then it's rinse, repeat. Okay. Which, again, to this point, they've done good work. It's a moneymaker. But I thought, well, wait a minute. What about the list, the alumnus of who's come out of that entity, which 
most some would have a really you know close relationship wanting to to be a closer relationship with what about them what is there an ability to to remarket to them over and above hey colin come get your executive mba which takes 18 months and a healthy chunk of money which you don't have time for okay so what we're entering right now is what i call the rise of ai there's, there's quite a few business owners, small, medium, and large, that are count themselves as alumnus, and they got to get it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So a disruption to the university system would be you have the resources, come up with the curriculum, and offer it to your alumni base. And so that's we're, we're working on a project right now um, here in my home state that would you know speak directly to that because it makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it also is kind of an interesting recruitment tag, right? If I'm a 17 year old and I really want to step into the practical, practical, n- nothing against academia, but the, my interest is what's, what's the private sector doing with this? And we're going to have opportunity to not only learn that, but maybe get introduction to that. Count me in, I'm in that line. And mm-hmm. so we're doing that. The dance you spoke of in America, we have something called the Sadie Hawkins dance, which is traditionally a dance for kids, let's say 12 to 14, 15 years old. So, you know, 100% awkward, as you can imagine. Yep. And so what ends up happening is the boys are on one side of the wall and the girls are on the other. And it mm-hmm. takes, you know, the chemistry teacher, Mr. Hunter, who knows all of them, to take, take the two that should be dancing together and put them together. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a crude analogy, but that's what we do at my company. We know the tech side enough such that we tell them, guys, you don't have an education issue. You have a user adoption issue, meaning the tech is, is plenty good enough. You need more users. And they vigorously nod their head saying, we agree. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have the legacy business piece who have not stepped into all these emerging technologies because, A, they don't speak the language. So, B, they're intimidated when they get cold called by their sales folks. So, no wonder it goes nowhere, right? Yeah. So, we put these folks together together. And say, you two need to dance because there's moves to be made here. At a minimum, Colin, back to your point a moment ago, what this does is it starts the relationship to say, okay, I know we need to change. Henry's forcing me to do this. I'm not totally comfortable, but I'm going to start the moves because guess what? I heard the other day that my competitor is already in this space. That gives us a whole different framework. It's not a nice to have. It's a have to have. Yeah. And, and the, the ripple, Colin, uh, not to keep going, but jump in, stop me. No. No, no. So many companies in America, I think the UK is the same. They call me and say, Henry, I can't hire anybody. Or if I hire them, I can't keep them. Well, guess what? You want to hire and keep the young folks? Tell them that you're, exper- you're, you're piloting aggressively um, on offense, artificial intelligence, and you're going to attract a different breed of smart people who want to come learn what you're doing and add to the story you're telling. As opposed to, hey, this is the way we've done it for decades. That's not changing. No wonder you're having a tough time hiring. It's interesting. When you were talking through that, it goes back to something that we've been wrestling with, which is, you know, going back to your visionary piece you need in the business. One of the core things that I think a lot of businesses need is a translator. In some ways, it's that translation down from strategy to execution. However, in this case, it's a lot of the young people translating for the older people around new technologies and what you're trying to do. And it, I think it's 
it's shaping a different type of organization, decision-making structures. Love your views on that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we've come up with a term, Colin. We call that, um, so this is once a company has, we've educated, and then we've done work with them vis-a-vis, here are the two or three or four pilots we see. We, we can get into these very quickly. Should they choose? We put what's called an evolutionary PM. So an mm-hmm. evolutionary project manager under their roof. Now, what is that? Because you nailed it. It's it's somebody that understands the rhythms of disruption matched with, um, matched with the fact that if my group does one and two, Colin, we come back six weeks later, we go, okay, Colin, how's it going? Mm-hmm. And you go, it's not going. And we go, well, what do you mean it's not going? We had a great time. Yeah, Henry, you had a great time when you were here. You guys left. Nobody under this roof has these principles and you're talking languages that no one speaks. So we haven't done much with it. We got that early and go, okay, we need to have someone residing that really integrates them themselves into the day-to-day such that they can kind of positively um, infect all these new change, even the phraseology, the work streams, uh, the check-ins. So an evolutionary PM does exactly that. I love that. I was at a Salesforce event in London and just the translation of the language around it. And then there was about 50 booths in this place where you're going to all the providers and all the knowledge. And if you didn't know the language, you didn't know what the hell they were selling or how useful it was to the business. So having an evolutionary PM to go, right, so what are we trying to weave here? Yeah, so Colin, let's go back to something we talked about a moment ago. Think about Mm. that evolutionary PM. Now, this is not a 23-year-old because a PM, to have true project management skills, I think, you need to have had two or three laps around the track. You need to have have some skin knees. You need to have experienced the highs and lows of business cycles. So think about that person Who's, who's got project management skills and needs a shot in their arm for their career. This mm-hmm. is disruption. This yeah. is, and look, we can, we teach those people pretty quickly. Um, the tech is, it, it's not as much to get your head around as you think. And then once you see, it's almost like that moment you could speak a different language, the world yeah. becomes in technicolor. And so mm-hmm. it's a great example of, this really gives a 2.0 to someone's career to say, hey, now you're on the forefront of becoming an evolutionary project manager where it's you're doing really important work. And so that's been fun too, to help people maybe mid-career understand, hey, you're no, you're nowhere near done. We're gonna we're gonna put some new wind in your sales such that you're gonna surprise yourself. So it's that's a lot of fun to watch. I love that. There might be even hope for a 58-year-old coming in there. So, well, let's see, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe one that could communicate and, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Henry, it's uh, brilliant. I mean, we could talk about this on and on and on. And actually, probably, as they say now, this podcast will be out of date by the time it goes live because of the changes <laughs> in what we're, we're doing. But I want to end, sir, with um, uh, three questions that I normally ask. So the the first one is, a small act or happening in your life that shaped your leadership, what would it be? So I had a mentor. I was a young manager, a 31-year-old manager of my own team, Colin. It was a bit like the 21-year-old who goes to Vegas and wins his first few hands. Bad, bad combo. Because I thought I had it all figured out. Yeah. And 
at my at my annual review, I thought I was a little bit, you know, bigger deal than I was. And so my mentor sat me down and said, I got a project for you coming up this year. And I said, great, give it to me. He said, I want you to choose one of your peers that's not doing as well as your team is doing metrics wise. I want you to help them. And then he paused and he said, and I don't want you to get any of the credit. Hmm. And I paused and I, I was smart enough to, to see what he was doing because that hurt. I mean, that, yeah. I had to kind of really swallow it and go, wait a minute. Like, isn't this, this is what it's about. Like, yeah, I'll help, but like dot, dot, that's like for the reason. Yeah. And so that's when I really began to pr pursue this idea of servant leadership. And again, not on a Hallmark greeting card, but what does it really mean to serve? Meaning, yes, I will find that person. I will work with them. I, and no one will know I was ever around. Because what he taught me long-term, Colin, was regardless of, of what you accomplish, if you look behind you and no one's taken a walk with you, you, you've not done anything. In fact, shame on you because you've wasted your talents. Yeah. So it was the it was the ability to to be humble and know that, hey man, <laughs> there's peaks and there's valleys, and you better be able to navigate both. Otherwise, no one cares. And it's it, frankly, it's a it's a bit it's a bit ugly. So I'll never forget that. Yeah, I love that. It's that going back to what we're talking about, the ego, isn't it? Oh. If you can if you can suppress the ego enough then you fly. But if you've got the ego as your leading, your leading character in your life, then wow. Yeah. I love that. Cause you, you can't, that's, that's like falling down in a well where there is no, there's no, mm. there's no landing spot. You never arrive. You don't, yeah. you know, you break the tape and you say, we won. What have you won? Mm. You, you uplift yourself. You put another zero in your own bank account. Mm. Yeah. It, it's, and, and, and then, and then you realize you're made for so much more. Mm. So that's when, the cold water hits your face. So, I, you know, I love the the work of the uh, Brenny Brown run, man in the arena, and the story of the the man who falls down the hole, and all these people try to help him, and eventually a person comes along, jumps in the hole with him, and said, "What the hell are you doing down here? You're going to be stuck as well." And so, no, I've been down here before. I know how to get out. I think this humbleness, humility, learning, success. That's by helping others. That's the way to lead. So, yeah, I love yeah, that. I agree. Yeah. So if you had to disrupt one thing about leaders nowadays, second question, what would it be? And that is a big question. I think this thing, this, this phrase that's rattling in my head these days, Colin, is mm. almost challenging every norm. Um, and I say that not for maybe the reason you think I do. Here's why I say it. Because look, there are some good norms, okay? So I'm not saying everything needs to be disrupted. What I am saying is, when you, ch I think when we get in the practice of challenging norms, on the other side, we can come out going, okay, I still subscribe to it, but I also understand the way the other side thinks about that. For instance, mm -hmm. I would say, could a leader today think about hiring people in a non-W2 perspective? Because- the 20-somethings, Colin, they want a gig economy. They don't want yeah. you and I's upbringing. So that's a, in, for some folks, that's a challenging way to think, wait, I don't control them. And the, the point is, exactly, you don't yeah. control them. So can you burst out of that kind of non-leadership you know, by title 
and work to get the best out of someone such that it might be in a different arrangement than the traditional W-2. So I would say a disruption now is like, or I, a question I would ask is, which norm have you challenged? And, and, and what netted it? What, what did you, what came of that thinking? I think that's a really smart thing to do. Even if you say, hey, I went through the process and I'm gonna stick to it, that's fine. Just challenge those norms. Yeah. Mine at the moment is retirement. So do when do I retire? What does retirement mean? Challenging the norms in there. And then you start to realize that life is, you know, it's about putting past the hole, as Bob Rotella used to say. So it's a love, challenging analogy. Okay. So final question. What's one leadership habit for you that's non-negotiable? Learning. Hmm. You have to, in some way, form or fashion, every day, uh, you have to you have to sharpen your saw. Because now with the with the speed and the rate of change, if you want to lead and not manage, um, you've got to continue to grow your lid because young Colin Hunter, who, who, who might be gravitated to me, is counting on that. So it's not about me. It's about how big do I want my leadership lid to, to, to span and to be. And the only way you do that is you have to learn. And like I said, everybody's got this, which means it's never been easier. It's never been more at our fingertips. Um, I'm a podcast guy. I love, I love the medium. Um, I think I saw a stat the other day that said only 21% of American working adults regularly listen to podcasts. So we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, so I would say constantly learn mm -hmm. because it's, it's ironically, it's not the way that we're built to do it. Like I said, lower school, primary school, college, maybe a little postgrad. Hey, off you go. Well, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, drips each day or little micro projects add and sharpen your saw such that you just become, I don't know. It's, it's, I would, that's my oxygen. If I didn't have that, I'd be, a, I'd be in a much darker place. Yeah. I do it through audible books. I love podcasts, but audible books and crunching it. But I think you're right. This learning, the concept of learning and even, you know, a lot of organizations I'm working with now have a, a philosophy, a strategy for learning in the organization, and and they've never had that before, a learning culture. But but again, if you're a startup, you almost create that learning culture by adopting some of the principles we're talking about. So, well, yeah. Colin, I'll give you a, a reason to have me back on. So mm. what we worked on, how about this? It's called reverse mentorship, mm. meaning a 58-year-old Colin Hunter um, Normally, a lot of those young pups would seek you out. Well, guess what? These days, if you're sharp and you are sharp, that's a two-way street. Yeah. Because it's going to sound silly, but at a minimum level, I want Colin Hunter to understand, why does he use Snapchat as opposed to Instagram? Mm -hmm. And that may sound silly to your listeners, but when you get inside the mind of these young people, yeah. um, another one is, did you know there's a Harvard Business Review study that says they would rather have a root canal than step into a bank? Yeah. And I'm, Interesting. It's funny, but I, but my, my inquisitive nature says why. I want to yeah. understand. I don't want to judge that, but I want to understand it. So this mm -hmm. idea of a reverse mentorship, not a one way street. That's how you stay not only stay sharp, but you just elevate your game. So, Mister Henry, if somebody wants to find out about you, where would they go? Where's so the my place? main channel, uh, my main platform, Colin, is LinkedIn, and it's Henry mm -hmm. Hayes, H A Y S. 
Um, DisruptReady.com is our company uh, website. We we do a lot of work there too. There's a you know contact us form there, mm-hmm. but LinkedIn and 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 uh, the website are my my two major kind of areas of um, of contacting. And and this is what we do all day every day. We love it. Uh, we traffic in it. Um, so it, I, I'd love to if, if any of your listeners want additional information or help, just please please reach out that way. I remember my first 40 minutes of injection of energy from you, Henry, and it's the same from this one. So I've loved it. So thank you very much for coming on the Leadership Tales podcast. Mate, it's my pleasure. And uh, one day, let's just have a pint together. I would enjoy that, sir. (laughs) So that was Henry. Uh, I love a number of things that he talks about in there. I, I love the offense, defense. I mentioned in the intro. I think that's so core in my mind around new leaders needing to be on the offense and dealing with that. I also just love this simple principle of the three things. And I'm always a big believer in three things, but what is in your market is complacent, the customer, and then the tensions. And again, if we hold those three things in our mind as we're going through, then we're starting to disrupt ourselves and look to, do, to be disrupt ready, disruption ready in terms of how we operate. Um, I think for me, the simple thing is though, that bringing almost the technologies together with people like myself who are less informed about the new technologies is such an important bit and helping us and guiding us. And a critical thing in there, you talked about measurements, measurement about where we're going and how we're going. But another key message I took out of that was efficiencies. So we think about these new technologies, think innovation, creative, new ideas, new products, but actually sometimes it's the new technologies that are about efficiency and how we operate and therefore we can adopt them, provide ourselves with efficiencies. And therefore as a business owner or a leader, we're starting to look at profit and the cost base as well. So fascinating conversation. I'm sure Henry will be back back on at some point. So look forward to welcoming you back another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.